Bugs Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Wright Jr. We have a number of people we're going to talk with today. A lot of things are happening across the country and around the world. And we also have something happening locally uh, right here in Seattle. And uh, my good friend, Kevin Henry, it has, is knee deep in that, one of the main organizers, as you all know. Uh, it's the Seattle Association of Black Journalists. They will be having an event, and I want to welcome Kevin Henry on to the program. Uh, Thank to you for having me. Kevin, I want you to let people know how cool you are and a little, <laughs> little bit about your background, because you used to be on the same radio station for a while. That's right, KKNW 1150. Yeah, uh, well, I, I guess for 20 years I was in Bellevue running the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion program, and that's when I think we interacted quite a bit during that 20-year period. And uh, we put on a lot of cultural events, a lot of workshops, a lot of webinars, a, a lot anything that we could think of really to just kind of educate the general public about diversity issues, whether it be in business, whether it be socially, whether it be what's going on in your neighborhood. We just felt we just felt like the more people, the more knowledge that people have, the better able they are to really interact with people and appreciate people from different backgrounds. And then I also have a freelance journalism career, which I'm, which is still going, thankfully writing for magazines and appearing on uh, radio shows from time to time. And uh, that's great. Now you also spent a little time in Hawaii too, right? Yeah. My wife and I were in Hawaii for five years. We, the, the rain and the, and the cold finally got to us and we enjoyed our stay there, but then we started missing the grandkids and missing friends and family and work. And then so we were just kind of sitting on an island going or driving around in a circle. So we decided to come back in, in uh, 2020. Now, let's go to the event that's going to be happening uh, with the Seattle Association of Black Journalists. Yeah. Uh, and uh, do we have a, a number of black journalists in, in the Seattle, King County, Washington State area? Well, I'm not sure what the number is. I do know, and I'm not sure of our membership number for this particular chapter, but we have way more than you think. That's the thing. And, and that's one reason why we do these kinds of events to highlight the work, the journalistic work of people of color, black journalists, people like you, because especially with the internet, the way it is competing, you know, it used to be in the old days, we had the newspaper, the radio and the TV. <clears throat> now people are getting the news off the phone. So we want people to know that a lot of work and care goes into stories that you see in print in places like the Seattle Times or in the South Seattle Emerald or the kind of work that you do on the radio and the Internet. And so we want to kind of give people a behind the scenes look at what goes into that and hopefully encourage them to pitch us stories from time to time. OK, now going to the event, who do we have on the panel? And uh, OK, uh, the, the Seattle, I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, how many folks do we have that's a member of the Seattle, there's a Seattle chapter? I'm sure that would include Bellevue and folks in Martin Luther King Jr. County, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are all spread out. Uh, we have Lola Peters, editor-at-large at the South Seattle Emerald. She's on the panel. We've got uh, Tate Bellany Walker, uh, communities reporter for the Seattle Times, and Mayawa Aina, the special projects uh, reporter for KNKX, and then I'll be moderating the panel as well, and I can kind of share whatever experience uh, the audience might find valuable as well when it comes to journalism. And is there a uh, registration required for people to attend this event? Yes, they, it, in place. Yeah, it's to, it's a twenty dollar ticket. If you go to um, uh, SABJ online, which is the website, but more importantly, I would go to the Facebook page. 
I know that you also have the information on your Facebook page as well. And all the information is on that flyer on the Urban Forum, the Eddie Rye Urban Forum um, a Facebook page. But it's this Saturday, October 21st from 4 to 5 p.m. at the Rainier Arts Center. The doors open at 3.30 p.m. And uh, it'll be a great event. We'll have some good, meaningful discussion, I think. You know, I think about the times uh, back in the day in the the 60s and the 70s, uh, mm-hmm. Martin Wyatt and John Ray, uh, uh, John Ray was uh, the anchor for the weekend news at uh, uh, King TV, and uh, Martin Wyatt was the sports guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that, that they go back quite a few years. I also recall Bob Gill being with uh, Cairo, uh, mm-hmm. other folks doing special things. And every now and then I see Ron Sims pop up as a political analyst with King King mm-hmm. TV as well. Uh, so we know that there's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, Don Phelps, the late Don Phelps, you know, he was uh, also a political commentator on several of the stations. As a matter of fact, in uh, 1969 through 72, uh, I hosted a Model Cities, uh, was really a Model Cities program. It was KOMO TV. It was called Action mm-hmm. Inner City. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, coordinated by uh, uh, Nate Long and uh, Oscar Productions. And uh, people were being trained how to do stuff in the, on, on the floor, like camera guys. Uh, matter of fact, Richard Departee is in the program. He ended up retiring. And uh, uh, Lee Carter, a lot of folks uh, went through there. So uh, mm-hmm. it, that, that's a good thing to have that kind of program. But it went out by the wayside. But the thing about it is we were able to come up with quite a few folks that are representative on this on the tube. So. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about the organization itself, and also a little bit about each one of the uh, the people you ha- have on the panel. Well, these are all members of the organization. I know that uh, Lola E. Peters, for instance, is uh, has quite a uh, a history as a as a veteran reporter. Um, I think she uh, worked for the Times for a while, but the uh, South Seattle Emerald is a I won't even call it an up and coming. Uh, publication it's really a force it's really a publication that really goes into depth about events that affect communities of color and especially in the region or then in the area of you know central district south seattle um uh burien des moines places like that a lot of times you know we're in a we're in a society where people they have short attention spans you know they get these little blurbs on their phone and that doesn't begin to even tell a story so a publication like the South Seattle Emerald, where uh, Lola works, can really give you a lot of context and a lot of depth as well. And then you've got um, Chad Bellany Walker, the Seattle Times communities reporter. So important to find out what's happening in communities because you turn on the news, especially national news. And I'm not blaming them, but you hear the same four stories over and over again for 24 hours and you're missing so much. So those types of community reporting is so important. And then uh, Mayawa Aina uh, at KNKX is doing a great job, and again, focusing on specific things that can really enlighten people. And I wanted to point out that one of the issues that we're really trying to change is the fact that I believe it's only about 7% of America's newsrooms have African-Americans in the newsroom. So you have a lot of uh, times our stories are being reported, not by black people. So there's always that chance that it's not going to get <laughs> reported without a certain amount of bias or ignorance or just not knowing the context 
you know, of our culture. So it's really important to we raise money. And this is where this money is going to, to have scholarships for young journalists who who of color and, and specifically black people who want to pursue careers in journalism. Very well, I certainly hope that uh, my uh, my adopted niece, uh, Chardonnay Bieber, whose grandfather started the uh, Facts newspaper, and uh, Chris B. Bennett over at the publisher and editor at the Seattle Medium does a fantastic job. So, mm-hmm. so Karen, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, once again, give them the time, place, and location. Yeah, thanks. And we'll see you a little later after the next segment. Yeah, I'll be back, and I'll just kind of hang out in the in the Zoom lounge. It's um, Saturday, this Saturday, October 21st, at the Rainier Arts Center from 4 to 5 p.m. The doors open at um, 3.30. You can uh, look at the flyer either on the Seattle Association of Black Journalists Facebook page or the flyer on your Facebook page as well. You can get tickets ahead of time and register, or you can just come with your phone uh, at the event and actually do it like that by using, what do you call that little code that you use with the phone? You know, you get the, it's the way you get them. I never, I never can think of the, you know what I'm talking about when you go to a restaurant? I can't think of it. You know, you go to the restaurant and it says, here's, here's the menu and you use your phone kind of thing. It's the same situation. Okay. All right, Kevin Henry. Thank you. We'll see you later. Okay. Transition now over to Emil Petrie, Ike Alexander, and Paul Fletcher uh, to continue to talk about our late friend uh, Emmanuel James Brisker Jr., also known as best known as E.J. Brisker, uh, who was one of the leaders in uh, the Black Student Union back in the '60s. So uh, I want to start with the the veteran who was there longer than anybody else. I think that's Emil Petrie. So Emil Petrie, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Same thing, Ike Alexander and Paul Fletcher. So let's start with Emil. And uh, Emil, why don't you start with us? We know we talked about last week we had uh, Larry Gossett, Carl Miller, James Garrett, Kathleen Halley, Kathy Halley, and uh, uh, Lethia Stallworth on. that shared a lot of information about the early days of the Black Student Union at the University of Washington. And Emil has corrected me on my email. There was not uh, three times more Black students uh, back in the day and I, anyway, uh, President Kashi, I'm sorry for saying that, but uh, I don't see any black students in the student section when the university play. I see a whole bunch of blacks on the football field, but I never see two black faces in the student section. So I'm just saying, do all the black students not like football at UW, or am I missing something? So Emil, why don't you give us a, a quick overview of the history of the BSU, and also if you could touch on the educational opportunity program that afforded opportunities for a whole bunch of folks it's one thing about that early BSU, Larry Gossett and the early founders of the BSU, when they made demands on the president, they insisted that they increase the number of Latinos as well as Native Americans uh, at the University of Students. So go right ahead, Mr. Emil Petrie. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Um, yes, uh, I came to the University of Washington on September 7, 1967. When, when I came here, um, I come from Southern University, and um, and I was the only uh, black person in the graduate school, and, and being around a whole bunch of black people all the time, I uh, was searching campus looking for black people, and I went to the hub, and there I found um, two tables of black folks playing cards, talking loud, um, and, and engaged, and a, a car. I mean, uh, Hennigan Petrie um, introduced me to 
the Afro-American Student Society, which had been formed around 1966. And it was formed because uh, Black people, the few who were there, wanted to have a place where they could congregate to have a psychological and social support. Um, and so that was the, the fall of 1967. Then um, for break, uh, autumn break, um, the students were invited to a conference in LA called the Black Youth Conference. And the reason why students at UW weren't invited was because Jimmy Garrett, who had, was one of the organizers for the conference, um, knew EJ. And because they had known each other since 1964 while working in, stick, in SNCC during uh, the freedom uh, movement. Um, so they uh, chartered a Greyhound bus, went down, and that was the first time uh, folks had heard of the Black Student Union. At that time, Jimmy Garrett, his idea was to uh, take the, the Black student movement to predominantly white institutions, to go away from voter registration, freedom rides, to go to predominantly white institutions. So he enrolled at San Francisco State, and they had a um, Negro Student Association, and within months they they um, changed the name, and it became uh, the Black Student Union. So it was the first Black Student Union uh, to be established in America at San Francisco State in 1966. Um, at that conference, uh, Garrett had a plenary. He already had 27 BSUs in, in California, and so. The people from Seattle were very interested in that. And I would argue that had not Jimmy Garrett known E.J. Brisker, they would not have known about Black Student Unions. And what Black Student Union did afterwards probably would have taken much longer. But because of E.J. Brisker and his connection with Jimmy Garrett, um, after that conference, um, the students came back they said pretty much it was a foregone conclusion that they'd have a BSU at UW. So on January 6, 1968, the students voted to change the name of the Afro-American Student Society to the Black Student Union. Um, and then they, uh, and then they uh, started real busy, like taking over the president's office and doing things like that. And I know that uh, Ike Alexander and Paul Fletcher was around and, uh, we have Paul Fletcher on. Also, I want to remind people that E.J. Brisker's memorial service will be tomorrow, Friday, uh, which was the 20th at First AME at 11 o'clock a.m. And I know Paul Fletcher is flying in. He's in Orleans right now, but he's going to be flying in. So, Paul, we have a, 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 some remarks from you about uh, your experience at the UW in the early days. Yeah, good afternoon. Good afternoon, good everybody. Um, yeah, I was actually... Uh, not a student at the time in 1968, but had just moved to Seattle from Pasco, Washington, and had the opportunity when I saw that they were doing the, the demonstrations on campus, and I heard that they were going to be recruiting more students, I became involved at that time. And so even though I wasn't a student, they invited me to participate with the Black Student Union. And Every day we would be demonstrating on campus. And it appeared at one point that 
the school was trying to to postpone uh, bringing in the students for the next year. So that's when it started to become apparent that there was going to have to be some more uh, activity that would, you know, let them know that we weren't we weren't playing, and and we decided to take the vote. I was in the room when that that occurred. We had already gone out to the community, and I was one of those who considered myself at the time a community activist. I wasn't a student and in fact had uh, left high school with a grade point that was not uh, gonna make me eligible to go to a university like the University of Washington. I mean, I graduated from Oakland Tech in California. I had a grade point of 1.5 in a four point system. But what the uh, Black Student Union was proposing was that all you had to have was a GED or a high school diploma. And so it made it apparent that I would be able to, you know, participate and actually attend the University of Washington. So after we were successful in getting the five demands uh, signed by Oligarch, then E.J. Brisker came over to me. And because I'd already been out in the community, actually handing out uh, applications to go to the University of Washington, that he, they saw I was recruiting students and they said, would you like to be a recruiter? <laughs> and this, yeah. And so this was the first job that I had ever had in life where I was, you know, be able to wear a suit and a tie. <laughs> and uh, so they gave me the job and the first person I recruited was me. <laughs> yeah. And so at the end of the first semester, the average grade point was 2.5. And I, you know, I realized then that I was capable and able to do the work at that level. Uh, while on campus, once we got uh, on campus, we took over pretty much all of the student organizations. We had uh, cooperation with the other activist organizations. Remember, the Vietnam War was going on at the time. And in fact, when we were discussing whether or not we were going to shut down the university and it became apparent that we might end up going to jail and some people could, you know, if National Guard came up there, the police, it might get even worse. But during that time, as I can recall, I had a 4F million and I wasn't qualified when they took me before the draft to, to be in the... Uh, military unless it was a war and since they didn't declare vietnam as a war then i was not eligible but the point is is that we knew that at least i knew and i'm sure others knew that the majority of black males my age at the time they was over there fighting a war yeah and so so you know for us to fight to be on campus was lightweight compared to what they were doing exactly and we, let's go and we to were, uh Ike Alexander, Ike, uh, when did you come in the University of Ike? And I know you ended up being uh, the vice president of the Associated Students of the University of Washington. That's over all the students, not just the BSU. Uh, yeah. And we also want to talk about some of the people who made contributions back in the day, like Wade Hill, who was a U.S. A BSU president, John Gilmore was a PSU president, and also the first director of the Ethnic Cultural Center. Charlie James was a BSU, and he was a UW Daily writer and editor and when i first saw his article in the in the daily i said who in the heck is this guy calling himself mr charlie and <laughs> found out it was a brother 
And then Wanda Tyra Hackett had the BSU daycare uh, going on. And Zach Lyle was the BSU security. And Brian Holton was the first black editor for the University of Washington Daily Newspaper. So uh, Isaac David Alexander, why don't you go ahead and talk about your experience? Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, one of my mentors is on the is online with his uh, Mr. Petrie. <laughs> uh, I came in September. <laughs> I came in September '69, <clears throat> and uh, Paul, I was one of those people who was uh, who was in Vietnam. I was there one year, four months, and twelve days in Tonsonu. So I came with a passion out of Los Angeles, but. When we talk about the BSU, you know, it's hard to say anything about them without mentioning the founders, uh, the Emil Petries, uh, the E.J. Briskers, the Eddie Demons, the Eddie Walkers, uh, the Larry Gossett, the Carl Millers, uh, the Lane Keith Miller, Kathy Halley, you know, Lethia Sauer, on and on. And so when I got there, things were beginning to start. And so we were beginning to take it to the next level. And what Emil and the founders had laid out was a roadmap for us to take it from a confrontational and move it to an inclusion. And so, but in doing that, the BSU made it very clear that when we include you, you come to us before you do anything. I, I can't tell you how many times I got my butt chewed out by the BSU for making decisions in the ASUW without their permission first. <laughs> so, but one of the things that I talk about is that when Wade Hill took over, that was really like the next phase after the uh, the founding fathers, founding members was there. And then Wade was one who started transitioning to that inclusion. And when John Gilmore came, it just exploded uh, in terms of his leadership and his guidance. Some of the things that tell you that what the BSU was able to do, again, because we had this framework, we had this roadmap that the founding members had did. Uh, we had a we had the BSU daycare center in in connection with the Panther Party, and that we would take in students who needed childcare at the BSU daycare center. One of the and the Hackett twins, Wanda and Tara Hackett, was in charge of operating that. But I want to give some also credit to Woody Hodge because Woody was able to get to the Department of, uh, of Education to give credits to any other students who worked in the daycare center. Those are some of the things that we, we don't talk about is that not only did you get daycare, but if you worked there, you got credit if you was an education major or you wanted early childhood education. Mm -hmm. So that was some of the things we did. The other thing is that uh, the issue with Joe Brazil, when we wanted to get Joe Brazil tenure, uh, and I think Eddie, there's photos of when we was at camp, 
uh, when we we brought that out about Jehovah's Hill. But also one of the things is that some of the people that were on campus that we brought through that time was a litany of some of the people. And one of the people that was there was Herbie Hancock. And Herbie Hancock in our meeting agreed that he would look at becoming an in-resident person on campus if we could afford it. Well, another one of the founding members, Billy Jackson, uh, led the charge. Billy Jackson, myself, Joe Brazil, and Jeff Winston, we went to the we went to the went to the ASUW and asked for money to go back do a presentation in front of the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation agreed to fund that program if the university would have picked it up for three years, and they didn't. So we lost having Herbie Hancock on campus. <laughs> but we know we also had the press conference about Joe Brazil's tenure at camp too. That picture exactly. on my Facebook page. We got exactly. about four minutes left. I want to give Emil and uh, Paul another shot at uh, making some comments. Y'all have about two minutes each. Let's go with you, Emil. Yeah, well, I want to really um, highlight EJ. And um, EJ, without a doubt, was um, Huey Newton called himself the supreme leader of the people. And E.J. Briscoe was the supreme leader of the BSU. He, um, all the, the the readings, he was a revolutionary theorist, and they had all different uh, books that, that, that folks should read. Uh, one was by uh, Leroy Jones, Amir Baraka, about the blue, blues people. And E.J. had analyzed it and determined that really Black music was really a true history of, of Black people. Um, EJ <clears throat> was at um, at Morehouse and at, at the age of 17, and he was doing sit-ins uh, with uh, SNCC uh, back then. But um, he, without a doubt, it was one of the brightest people we've ever known. And I can tell you that for the last two or three years, he, I talked to him two or three times a week, and he was always pushing had always had ideas. And it was EJ who was bold enough to ask for $50,000 from the president. But I want to say one thing I know we probably yeah, don't have Paul got to the pause two minutes. Yeah, but the other thing is that when Odegaard wrote his autobiography, he wrote one chapter was titled The Season of Discontent in the Black Studies Program. EJ Brisker was the only name that he mentioned and he said it was because of his um, logic and ability to reason and articulate what they wanted to hear. Okay, um, he introduced was, me to Julian Vaughn. We got to go to Paul Fletcher. Paul, you got a couple of minutes to wind up. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. I guess, I guess one of the most dynamic programs that was incorporated later in the on campus was we had a group that went out to the McNeil Penitentiary, a group of students, black students, and we created a black cultural workshop. And subsequently, after a number of years, they actually had a halfway house on the on the university working the campus. And it's a, a model that I don't think any other university to this state has tried to adopt. But those students never received a beta. And so for me, it's 
you know, I worked in corrections. I worked with, uh, you know, as a probation or parole officer. And I've always said, be for the grace of God, there goes I. To have that sort of initiative on campus just speaks well for the students, the Black Student Union, and the kind of work that was being done at that time. Yeah. Right. That was Sam Kelly. Kelly made that happen. Yeah, that was a resident release program. That, right. Okay, uh, our time is up, y'all. I, I appreciate it. Paul Fletcher, I want everybody Thank to know you. your dad. Thank you, is, Appreciate your dad it. is Art Fletcher, known as the father yeah. of affirmative action. And uh, one of the things he told me is that uh, uh, by George H.W. Bush getting him endorsed, Clarence Thomas was the biggest political mistake he ever made in his life. He's uh, right. he, he's called him Clarence Tom Ass back in the in the 90s. So <laughs> thank you all very much. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Juan and Marilyn and Kevin is back on the scene. So, uh, Eric, let's take this quick break and come right back with those folks. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. It was the 3rd of September. That day All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. Want to give a shout out. Uh, Ramba Notes tonight at 7 o'clock. This is on behalf of uh, Nichelle Alderson. Flowers for Frenchie. Uh, Frenchie Lamont, uh, a.k.a. Papa Condi. It's going to be a jam session fundraiser. That's at Rumba Notes in Columbia City. Want to thank Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion the City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's University Contracting Office, and SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. The two Iraqi vet, uh, uh, veterans uh, uh, own uh, two uh, shops on Concourse 8, Africa Lounge, and the Mountain Room Bar. And now I'm back with Kevin Henry once again. And we have uh, Juan Pirellas and uh, Marilyn Chase on. And uh, I told uh, during the break, and as a matter of fact, before I got started, since Kevin Henry is going to be doing the moderating, uh, I'm going to go ahead and let him go ahead and start it off, and I'll I'll intervene shortly. So go right ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Eddie. It's a real pleasure to be on your show as always, and to have these two esteemed guests that I've been working with for the last several weeks. 
on a really important event, a real critical event uh, that has to do with addressing hate and extremism here in the region. And um, before we dive into that, I just wanted Juan and Marilyn just to maybe spend about half a minute just kind of introducing yourself, because both of you have worked tirelessly over the decades <laughs> uh, for a number of causes and people people should just uh, get to know you a little bit. So if you could take a half a minute or so, just uh, why don't we start with Marilyn? Oh, thank thank you, uh, Kevin. I appreciate that. And thank you, Eddie. I, this is, this is a, a real pleasure. I I uh, so enjoyed uh, listening to the the stories of the people who have, who were out of the university at the same time that I was there, along with Juan. You know, so it was good. Um, so I, I have a, I, I, I when Kevin says working with de- for decades, that's true. We've been working on social justice issues uh, together for for many many decades, and now we have another another big one that we're we're here to talk about. And we're so grateful, Eddie, that you you will uh, let us have this time on the on the radio to be able to talk about why this is important. Um, I, I uh, was at the university uh, during the same time that your, your previous guests were and, and, and went on to, to work on social justice issues forever. Um, and also including working on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we all are have to go back out again because the, uh, the threats to our way of life, to our constitution, and to our ability to exercise our full human rights is really being threatened. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about that today. Great. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, over to you, Juan. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Eddie, for having us on your show today. Really appreciate that because this is one of the most important issues that's going on, not only in Washington State, but around the country, as we know. Uh I started Unidos back in 1991. And uh, since I uh, tried to hold the elections during the time I was back there in Seattle, nobody would show up. So I guess I'm a, a dictator now because I've been president since 1991. Okay? But uh, the, the issues that Unidos has been working on, uh, we started in Seattle was on police accountability and police working with immigration to take Mexicans back to Mexico, right? And uh, but in the last few years, I've been addressing more the police accounted police accountability legislation. Uh, uh, Unidos is an ally of the Washington Coalition for Police Accountability, who are doing a fantastic job in trying to hold police accountable. And of course, now we're working also for the last three years with a couple of state reps uh, and county council members here in Snohomish and other organizations like NAACP. Uh, American Defamation League and American Civil Liberties Union to address this issue of white supremacy. Although politicians at Olympia don't want to call it that. They wanted to call it uh, domestic violent extremism, which is what they put forth this year at the legislature when they sponsored uh, House Bill 1333. And that was by Representative Bill Ramos from the Issaquah area. And he has been coming to Snohomish County to help us with this uh, work that we're doing. And he's the first one to sponsor a bill to address white uh, nationalism or white Christian nationalism or white supremacy, whatever you want to call it. To me, it's the same thing. So this is what we're doing now. And uh, Marilyn and I have been working on this for a good time now and, you know, trying to put this thing together. It's a lot of work. And Kevin has been excellent in helping us in that. So thank you, Eddie. And thank you, Kevin. Well, it's been my pleasure. And the event we're speaking about is happening on October 26th 
from 6.15 p.m. to 8.15 p.m. at the Everett Civic Auditorium at 2415 Colby Avenue in Everett, Washington. The doors open at 5.30. Admission is free. If you go to the Unidos um, um, uh, Facebook page, I believe, you can you can get more information about how to register RSVP. There's also an email address. I just want to get this out before I forget. Washington or WA communities against hate at gmail.com. So if you have questions, uh, please feel free to use that email. So the name of the event is communities against hate present a forum to address hate and extremism. And it features renowned author, David Newert, who has uh, written several books about the topic and really digs in deep and really illuminates just what's been going on for decades now, what's happening right now, right under our noses. So I wanted to start with Marilyn. I think we only have about five or six minutes, and I know we could talk about this for hours. But if you could just talk a little bit, Marilyn, start off by just talking about the climate. You know, we go about our day every day and, you know, do what we need to do. We do our life and we have no idea. A lot of people have no idea that there's organized groups full of hate that are plotting and planning to do all kinds of nefarious things. Maybe you could just uh, spend I, a few minutes illuminating. I'd be happy. I'd we be have happy 15 to. minutes, y'all. So we 15 do have minutes. All right. Okay. 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 All right. Thank so you. We, we'll try to be very, very careful. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Thanks, um, uh, I think that um, uh, when, when Juan mentioned the white Christian nationalism, that's what I prefer to call it because the faith-based community here in our state is up in arms. A lot of people are not aware of that. Because they are mad, they are uh, very angry that a bunch of bigots who are the white Christian nationalists uh, are cloaking their bigotry in Christian language, and they are not happy about that. And I, I absolutely support that. This is uh, this, they're they're beginning to work statewide on this because the the groups that we're talking about uh, are are really all over the state, uh, the state of Washington is number five in the nation uh, for activity and instances of, of white Christian nationalism. Uh, and, and troubling for me is that Snohomish County is the, is, uh, the number one county with activities uh, of these various groups. And there are a lot of groups, a lot of, you know, we, we uh, uh, I think we're shocked when the, the white patriots attacked the national capital in uh, January of, of 2020. Um, but they, a lot of those folks came out of our state, and they're they're now cooling their their uh, heels in jail. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're they're they are they are very very active in all across our state, but particularly in Snohomish County. Uh, the interest, the other interesting thing that they're concerned about is that white superiority is losing out, and they are they uh, they don't like the idea of losing their majority status. And that's you. If you take a look at the the demographics in the Snohomish County schools, you will see that the white enrollment has dropped into the forty percent uh, range, and BIPOC uh, students are are in the fifty percent range. So we have a change in our demographics, uh, and and what we're seeing is is a a resurgence of white supremacy. And cloaking it, and and what if they are successful in their long term strategy, they will want. What their intention is to overturn the Constitution of the United States, and have a have a, a government that is an authoritarian white patriarchy. So, so this is a very serious issue for us to face. 
And we're going to find out more on October 26th. That's at the Everett Civic Auditorium in Everett. Doors open at 530. And uh, we'll go over to Juan. And Juan, what are some of your viewpoints when it comes to this kind of looming threat that we're that's out there? Well, it's the biggest concern I've ever had in my life, to be honest with you, okay? Because these groups are trying to take over the country, as we saw on January 6, 2021. And I'm talking about groups like the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and all the other Nazi groups around the country. But to me, what's happening here locally uh, is that in Snohomish County, we're number one in the state and fifth in the nation as a state. But here, I'll tell you a couple of things that have been happening here. Uh, This year, we had some incidents of the, uh, what is called the Patriot Front, which are the biggest distributors of propaganda in the country. And they were doing their stuff here in Snohomish County and uh, and continue to do it. I mean, it's been going on forever. I mean, the other thing is uh, because of the Black Lives Matter movement, there's supposed to be a protest in Snohomish uh, sometime three years ago. And uh, all these uh, white supremacist groups came out there with the AR-15s, AK-47s, and showing their Confederate flags all through downtown. That they were there to protect the city of Snohomish, which we know is not true at all. But that's how they're displaying, you know, the thing that they're proposing or promoting. Uh, we had a young Muslim, um, a young Muslim, was, I think, 18 years old, that was found hanging in Lake Stevens. Okay, he was mm-hmm. lost. He was gone for like over a month before they found him. Okay, maybe close to two months. And uh, and then the case was investigated by the FBI and the local police. And after two months, decided that this was a suicide and that they ended their um, investigation. Well, had it been a white young man, you know that they would have found him quickly first and that they would have not stopped this investigation until they found who was responsible. But being a black young Muslim, they didn't care. Uh, also, the... Um, the self-declared constitutional sheriffs that we have in our uh, state, there are two, three sheriffs that I know that are constitutional sheriffs. One is in our own county, uh, Snohomish County, Adam Fortney, who is our current sheriff. Uh, in Thurston County, we have another constitutional, Clitacat County, another constitutional sheriff. And that sheriff there won the uh, constitutional sheriff award in 2019. And this is a, although there are only three that are sort of have declared their constitutional, 17 out of 39 countries, counties support uh, the Clitacats County Sheriff who got that award. So, could you explain, can you explain that to our audience, the constitutional sheriff? Yes. A constitutional sheriff is a kind of sheriff that believes that they're the ultimate authority and supersede any state or federal law. In fact, they think they are it. And they will not, and it was it was a good example of that was the, the fact that the Sheriff Fortney would not enforce the governor's mandate on masking. And they also, he, uh, during his campaign this year, invited the constitutional sheriff from Arizona, who has ties with the Oath Keepers. He brought him here to do a fundraiser for him. So we know where he stands. And this is why I'm supporting Susie Johnson for sheriff in Snohomish County. That's a great answer. And, you know, it, it kind of brings to mind when you're talking about 
the, the true nature of people is that very often when I've gotten into arguments with people and tried to explain to them that, you know, there's a growing threat and that, you know, that guy across the street watering his lawn could be a member of a white supremacist group. They push back and they say, oh, but, you know, all he wants to do is all the sheriff wants to do is have more law and order. But they don't take the time to really get on the Internet and research, you know, who are these people hanging out with? What have they said in interviews? Things that might not be readily um, uh, you might not readily know about if you just glob on to one particular thing that the person said uh, that you happen to like. So what would you say, uh, what advice would you give to people to really kind of get educated on this? Because I'm sure you run into people who go, oh, Marilyn, you're, you know, it's not as bad as you say. It's just, it's just those crazy people out there in Idaho that are acting like that. So here's your chance to kind of urge people to, you know, to wake up. Uh, I think, I think that people all across their, our state need to take a look at what's really happening in their own communities uh, and is there a, a, a pathway from what we have observed, um, you know, over the, the years? We, you know, the, the FBI had, uh, had a, a shootout with a group called the Order over on Whidbey Island. Uh, and then they went over to Idaho, uh, which you, you, you mentioned they got the, to a shootout at, at um, Ruby Ridge. Mm -hmm. and, and so, the, but you look and say, okay, what are they doing now? Well, they're out practicing um uh, their militia behavior uh they have a place up in the little town up up by the skagit uh where they go into a building and they they actually practice with guns to to do their their paramilitary training this is happening right now in our communities and and you look at that and you say okay they're they're uh what else are they doing think about the school boards we have Moms for Liberty going into the school board, and they're trying to put their their version of theology into the the uh, the school curriculum. And you know, if if you happen to be a a, a, a an LBGT person or a, a, a person of color, you got a big target on your back from these people, and they will go after you. And they are doing that to people. You know, and and we're not getting a lot of pushback from our communities because our communities all across the state, you know, don't understand how really seriously these are these people are organizing. If you see fl uh, flyers, they do flyers. They they uh, they also go over and drop banners on the freeways. You know, mm -hmm. they they blow up substations, our electrical substations. Now that should that should you know put everybody into a, a tizzy because. This is going after our critical infrastructure that we need in order to survive as a as a functioning good community. So when you when you look at what they're doing at the school boards and you look at what they're doing to the infrastructure, you need to start taking taking account of this. This you know and inform yourself. Why do we need this? You know the the Constitution. Well, I will readily admit it's got to have it's got a lot of faults, but it's a system of governance that at least we have a chance of, of not having a, a, an official religion. They would like to make this country into an official uh, a Christian, their version of Christian theology, not mine, but theirs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as, as our, our state religion. Well, no, we're not gonna have a state religion that, that, that posits white superiority as the, as the way to organize ourselves as our communities and our governance system.
we had five or six Seattle police officers go back and were present for January 6th. And because of the union contract, their names have never been revealed. Mm. And I think that's a, a travesty right there. So mm. uh, go right ahead, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that there's so much that that we don't know about. Um, but, it you know, it just behooves people to find out, uh, you know, w- what's behind some of the smiles and some of the, the pleasant mm-hmm. rhetoric mm-hmm. that that's music to people's ears. How much time do we have left, uh, Eddie? Because I want to make sure I got the uh, plug the event one more time. Oh, I think you went. You were muted. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> Unmute and I'm muted. Okay, we have about five minutes. Okay, okay, good. Well, okay, I'm just going to squeeze it in again and I'm going to go to one and then we can kind of close it out. But it's October 26. It's in Everett at the Everett Civic Auditorium, 2415 Colby Avenue in Everett. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. Admission is free. Uh, Unidose has the uh, uh, Facebook page where you can find out information about how to register, how to RSVP. We also have uh, the flyer with uh, Dave Newert's uh, um the author, the the guest speaker uh, on Eddie Rise uh, Urban Forum page as well. If you want more information, have questions, capital W-A, communities against hate at gmail.com is a good uh, email to use to write if you have questions. And so let's let's just kind of close it out with Juan, just some closing thoughts on uh, Dave, Dave Neward and, and what people need to do and why they should come to this event. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Well, a little background, David Newert, uh, Nywert, I forget. Nywert, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's Nywert. Right. Uh, he was speaking on the same issue back in 2018 at the Everett uh, Library. Uh, it was overfilled. It only hold 150 people, I believe. And it was overfilled. And the uh, former representative, Luis Moscoso, and the late Peter Jackson, son of... Uh, former Senator Scoop Jackson, uh, contacted David, and he came and uh, made his presentation at that event. He also wrote an op-ed regarding uh, a woman by the name of Shauna Ford, who was a member of the Minutemen Militia here in Everett, who uh, had a husband, uh, John Ford, who I worked with at City Light. And for a while he was missing, and uh, you know it was because he was shot by... Actually, she he filed for divorce because this woman, his wife, was, you know, doing all this activity with the militia. And so he said, look, if you don't stop it, I'm going to file for divorce, And which eventually did. A few days later after that, he, she called him and said, are you going to be home? He said, yes, I am. Some guy, her new boyfriend, went into the house from the back door, went in there and shot him five times. Wow. He almost died. And the guy who shot him, still roaming the streets. The police did not do a thorough investigation. So this woman then went down to Arizona and shot a nine-year-old girl and her father in their home. The Minutemen militia are known for going down to the border, Mexican hunting. Okay, mm-hmm. And so the idea of bringing back uh, David Neward is to get a better understanding of the threat posed not only to us personally, but to our democracy because they want to take over our democracy and have a fascist regime. That's really the total goal. And then we are hoping that through this uh, event, 
We will inspire people and encourage them to get invited in this movement against white supremacy. And by doing that, they can contact their, their respective legislators and demand that a commission to address white supremacy is established and that a hotline, a state level hotline be created where people can call and report incidents of hate and violence. Okay, and, we're out of time, y'all. We I, I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Juan and Marilyn. But, but Juan and Marilyn, thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you for co-hosting. But Juan, I want to let you know that on uh, 51 years ago, on October 12th, Roberto Maestas and a bunch of us came out of Beacon Hill School and announced. The Roberto announced that we had just discovered that building. So 51 years ago, I was part of the uh, the group that got El Centro de la Raza started. So thank you all very much and. Uh, uh, hopefully we can get some people there. Also, this program will be available. Eric is, works magic in the studio. In a couple of hours, this will be available 24-7 on Alexa. And after one week or so, it's available for a year on urbanformnw.com. So that way, all, everything you're saying right now will be available for quite a while. So thank you guys very much, sir. Great. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks okay. a lot, Eddie. Thank you very much, Eddie. Appreciate it. Okay. okay, let's take the last break, Eric, before we check out. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Ride wrapping up Durban Forum Northwest. You can get this program in a couple of hours on Alexa and on my podcast. But don't forget tonight, Thursday at uh, uh, Rumba Notes, there will be Flowers for Frenchie, uh, a.k.a. Papa Condi. There's a jam session and fundraiser. Michelle Alderson wants you to be there. I also want to thank uh, the Sound Transit Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Department, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, and uh, make sure that uh, it let your friends know if they want to hear about what's going on with right up the street in in, in Snohomish County. Uh, let have them check out uh, Urban Forum Northwest on Alexa, or either go to the website UrbanForumNW.com. But you can get this program for the next twenty four seven 
on Alexa. And once again, Marilyn and uh, Kevin and uh, Juan, I want to thank you guys for all the work you're doing and for bringing truth to the people. So thank you very much. We'll talk with you again next week. Eddie Rye over and out with Urban Born Northwest. Northwest.